3: Hey, it's the Tom Hartman podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine, but you know, they've they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that, essentially, surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100 Uh, One of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts a simple number. Here it is, Lot 506 or Lot 622, simple number on it, and you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had the the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock. All these these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. you got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, C-H as in Cameron Hughes. That's his name, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy, and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M, or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511-511, and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text wine to 511-511, Cameron Hughes, Wine, exceptional value, extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We are going to be playing the hearings. This is absolutely unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this, at least certainly not in my lifetime. It has been 50 years since the swing vote on the court was replaced by somebody who was ideologically definable, clearly definable. This is something that happens very, very rarely. Part of it is because the judges themselves will resign during the presidencies of administrations that they trust to replace them. This is certainly the case with Kennedy. I mean, there's some debate about whether his son had anything to do with the billion dollars that Deutsche Bank or piles of money uh, that Deutsche Bank gave to uh, Trump. But he chose to step down knowing that Trump would put somebody in his place and a couple of things that are not getting anything close to the press that I think they should get. Number 1. In 2000, we know that Jeb Bush and Katherine Harris took a list of voter felons provided by the office of George W. Bush, the governor of Texas, took that list of Texas felons and merged purged it against the Florida database, the Florida voter database and knocked tens of thousands of Floridians off the voting rolls. Now, why is that consequential? Because there is a much smaller pool of African-American and Hispanic names than there are of white names in the United States. And so when you do that kind of merge purge, and and in Texas, you know, a very, very large proportion of the felons in Texas are black. So when you do a merge purge of Texas felons, you're going to get a whole bunch of James Browns in Texas, who are also James Browns in Florida, but are not the same person. But Jeb Bush knocked tens of thousands of people off the voting rolls doing this and got himself, got, got George within 500 votes of being president, at least according to the first count. The state Supreme Court, based on the law, the Constitution of Florida, which says that if a race is within a half a percent, there has to be a mandatory recount. The state Supreme Court ordered a statewide recount. And the U.S. Supreme Court shut it down. Now, what got the U.S. Supreme Court to shut it down? This is when Rehnquist was chief justice. It was the two clerks who had worked for Rehnquist. Actually, one of them had worked for Kennedy. One had worked for Rehnquist. It helped, it helped train Ted Olson, the lawyer who argued Bush v. Gore, who went to the Supreme Court and said, no, we've got to stop this. We've got to stop this recount. Because we know you know, a year later when they actually did the recount, they discovered that, you know, hey, Al Gore actually won Florida by any measure. And you can find that in both the New York Times and the Washington Post. It was buried in the 17th paragraph, but it's there. So it was an illegitimate presidency, George W. Bush. Well, who made it happen? John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh played a role in the Bush v. Gore crime. He was three years as staff secretary to George W. Bush during the time that they were having debates in the Bush White House about what to do about torture whether they should continue waterboarding and killing people in order to get information out of them. He was the staff secretary, and that's not a secretarial job. This is a major policy job where he's offering advice to the president of the United States and writing position papers for the president, as well as serving as a nexus for information coming in and out of the White House. He was staff secretary for 35 months, during which we have no documents there's a 35-month black hole. I believe it was Senator Leahy who pointed this out earlier. They were discussing abortion in the White House. They were discussing torture. They were discussing illegal wiretaps. They were discussing the legality of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. They were, they were discussing all kinds of things that we would like to know what this guy has to say. And the Republicans have chosen to hide those documents and have told the Democrats on the committee, no, sorry, you can't have access to that. 35 months doesn't exist in this man's record. When he was in the role of partisan Republican counselor to a very, very, very illegitimate and George W. Bush, I mean, he committed major war crimes, and he lied us into two wars, which are war crimes in and of themselves. And Brett Kavanaugh was right there with him. Is that what the the Republicans are trying to hide? Is that why they dumped 42,000 pages last night? You know, they're going, oh, we've got more pages than we've ever had. Well, that's because in this day and age, it's a lot easier electronically to just grab a whole bunch of documents and say, here you go. But the fact of the matter is over 90% of Brett Kavanaugh's record has not been provided to this committee. The White House is asserting executive privilege, except they're not. A lawyer who works for Trump and who is also working for some of the people who have been indicted by Mueller in the Trump scandals, has asserted that Kavanaugh's stuff is covered by executive privilege, but Trump has not signed the paperwork for executive privilege. I mean, this whole thing is just so weird. What's going on? The last time a president tried to assert executive privilege is Reagan in the hearing on Rehnquist, and Reagan actually did. He actually signed the paperwork and everything. The Democrats sat down with him and said, why are you doing this? This is going to look bad for you. It's going to look bad for us. This is not a good idea. And Reagan backed down. He says, you're right. It should be an open process. Clearly, Trump is not going to do that. Well, actually, Trump hasn't even asserted executive privilege. It's a lawyer who works for Trump who's not even an employee of the government. And finally, when Kavanaugh came before the United States Senate back in 2006, 7, eight, right around in there somewhere, to have his confirmation hearings to be on the DC circuit, which is arguably the second most powerful court in the United States. He was asked about his time in the Bush White House. And he was asked about what kind of legal advice he offered George W. Bush about his torture policies, about his illegal wiretap policies, about his unlawful war policies. And he said with a straight face to the senators, I had nothing to do with that. I'm paraphrasing, but you know, I, I wasn't, that was not not part of my purview. And now it looks like he lied. So this guy lied to the United States Senate, the very people who are, are questioning him right now. And if he didn't lie, why are they covering it up and hiding it? And then, and then finally, in the Garza case, this is the case of the 17-year-old who was, who was held in an immigration facility in, in uh, South Texas and discovered once she got there that she was pregnant. And she went out and got the she got funders to she she found friends and, and, and allies who would pay for her abortion, who would take her to the abortion clinic, who would handle whole, you know, the whole process. She took care of it all. And it went before Judge Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh in the D.C. Circuit. And he asked the question, what's the latest that she can get this abortion and the and the and the defense lawyer? uh, you know, who was speaking on behalf of this young woman, Miss Garza said, uh, at 20 months, it's illegal to get an abortion in Texas. And so he said, okay, great. And she was 17 months pregnant at that point. So he was like, okay, great. Well, I'm just going to kick this down the docket. She can reapply at a lower court. That lower court can rule. Then after they've ruled, they can come back to me and say, we'd like you to hear this on appeal. How long is this going to take? Well, three or four weeks. She's 17 weeks pregnant. She can't get an abortion after 20 weeks. Now, was that because Kavanaugh didn't want to have somebody get an abortion in a case that he was presiding over? Well, he wrote a blistering 65-page defense of his decision when he got overturned, overruled by his two friends on the court. It was a three-judge panel. He lost this. But this is what he was trying to do. And there's every reason to believe that if this man is on the Supreme Court, you're going to see Roe v. Wade overturned in a nanosecond, in a heartbeat. Sheldon Whitehouse's opening comments, that on the other side, Judge Kavanaugh before the U.S. Senate. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG, and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool, and meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it, you know, helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now, and I have noticed in my daily writing because I've, I've got a ten book contract right now. and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, "Okay, I'm going to write for an hour," and half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that, and And I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm gonna get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. You can learn all about it at Choose Muse M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order using the code Tom, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. choosemuse.com. Sheldon Whitehouse is
4: speaking now, so let's just pick up the hearing. Every time, let me repeat, In 73 partisan decisions where there's a big Republican interest at stake, the big Republican interest wins every damned time. Thus, the mad scramble of big Republican interest groups to protect a Roberts Five that will reliably give them wins, really big wins sometimes. I note that when the Roberts Five saddles up, these so-called conservatives are anything but judicially conservative. They readily overturn precedent, toss out statutes passed by wide bipartisan margins, and decide on broad constitutional issues that they need not reach. Modesty, originalism, stare decisis, all these supposedly conservative judicial principles all have the hoof prints of the roberts all across their backs wherever those principles got in the way of those wins for the big republican interests the litany of roberts five decisions explains why big republican interests want Judge Kavanaugh on the court so badly. So badly that Republicans trampled so much Senate precedent to push him through. So let's review the highlights reel. What do big Republican interests want? Well, first they want to win elections. What is the Roberts Five delivered? Help Republicans gerrymander elections. Vith v Jubilee five to four. License to gerrymander. Help Republicans keep minority voters away from the polls. Shelby County, five to four, and Bartlett v. Strickland, five to four, and Abbott v. Perez, five to four. Despite the trial judge finding, the Texas legislature actually intended to target and suppress minority voters. And the big one, help corporate front group money flood elections. Big money interests love unlimited power to buy elections lobby and threaten and bully congress mccutcheon five to four counting the concurrence bullock five to four and the infamous grotesque five to four citizens united decision which i believe stands beside lochner on the court's roll of shame what else do big influencers want to get out of courtrooms Big influencers hate courtrooms because their lobbying and electioneering and threatening doesn't work, or at least it's not supposed to. In a courtroom, big big influencers, used to getting their way, have to suffer the indignity of equal treatment. Gonzalez v. Carhartt upholding restrictive abortion laws. Hobby Lobby granting corporations religious rights over the health care rights of their employees. NIFLA, letting states deny women truthful information about their reproductive choices. All 5-4, all Republican. Add Heller and McDonald, which reanimated for the gun industry, a theory a former chief justice once called a fraud. Both decisions 5-4. This year, Trump v. Hawaii, 5-4, rubber stamping the Muslim travel ban. And in case Wall Street was feeling left out, helping insulate investment bankers from fraud claims, Janus Capital, five to four. Pattern. No wonder the American people feel the game is rigged. Here's how the game works. Big business and partisan groups fund the Federalist Society, which picked Gorsuch and now you. As the White House counsel admitted, they insourced the Federalist Society for this selection. Exactly how the nominees were picked and Who was in the room where it happened, and who had a vote or a veto, and what was said or promised? That's all a deep, dark secret. Then big business and partisan groups fund the Judicial Crisis Network, which runs dark money political campaigns to influence senators in confirmation votes, as they've done for Gorsuch and now for you. Who pays millions of dollars for that? And what their expectations are is a deep, dark secret. These groups also fund Republican election campaigns with dark money and keep the identity of big donors a deep, dark secret. And of course, 90% of your documents are to us a deep, dark secret. Then once the nominee's on the court, the same business front groups with ties to the Koch brothers and other funders of the Republican political machine file friend of the court or amicus briefs to signal their wishes to the Roberts Five. Who is really behind those friends is another deep, dark secret. It has gotten so weird that Republican justices now even send hints back to big business interests about how they'd like to help them next. And then big business lawyers rush out to lose cases, to lose cases, just to rush up before the friendly court pronto. That's what happened in the Friedrichs Janus episode. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the biggest corporate lobby of them all. For big coal, big oil, big tobacco, big pharma, big guns, you name it. And this year, with Justice Gorsuch riding with the Roberts Five, the Chamber won 9 out of 10 cases it weighed in on. The Roberts Five, since 2006, has given the Chamber more than three-quarters of their total votes. This year, in all civil cases, they voted for the Chamber's position fully 90% of the time. And in these 5-4 cases I've highlighted, 100%. People are noticing. Veteran court watchers like Jeffrey Tubin, Linda Greenhouse, and Norm Ornstein described the court's service to Republican interests. Tubin wrote that on the Supreme Court, Roberts has served the interests of the contemporary Republican Party. Greenhouse has said the Republican appointed majority is committed to harnessing the Supreme Court to an ideological agenda. Orenstein described the new reality of today's Supreme Court. It is polarized along partisan lines in a way that parallels other. This political
3: is Sheldon Whitehouse, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. The rest
4: White Supreme Court treats corporations more favorably than individuals compared to vice versa by a 7 to 1 margin. of Americans think corporations get special treatment there. You made your political bones helping the salacious prosecution of President Clinton and leaking prosecution information to the press. As an operative in the second Bush White House, you cultivated relationships with political insiders like nomination guru Leonard Leo, the Federalist Society architect of your court nominations. On the D.C. Circuit, you gave more than 50 speeches to the Federalist Society. That looks like auditioning. On the D.C. Circuit, you showed your readiness to join the Roberts Five with big political wins for Republican and corporate interests, unleashing special interest money into elections, protecting corporations from liability, helping polluters pollute, striking down common sense gun regulations, keeping injured plaintiffs out of court against corporations, and perhaps most important for the current occupant of the Oval Office, expounding a nearly limitless vision of presidential immunity from the law. Your alignment with right-wing groups who came before you as friends of the court, 91%. When big business trade associations weighed in, 76%. This to me, is what corporate capture of the courts looks like. There are big expectations for you. The shadowy dark money front group, the Judicial Crisis Network, is spending tens of millions in dark money to push for your confirmation. They clearly have big expectations about how you'll rule on dark money. The NRA has poured millions into your confirmation, promising their members that you'll break the tie. They clearly have big expectations on how you'll vote on guns. White House counsel Don McGahn admitted, there is a coherent plan here where actually the judicial selection and the deregulatory effort are really the flip side of the same coin. Big polluters clearly have big expectations for you on their deregulatory effort. Finally, you come before us nominated by a president named in open court as directing criminal activity and a subject of ongoing criminal investigation. You displayed expansive views on executive immunity from the law. If you are in that seat, sir, because the White House has big expectations that you will protect the president from the due process of law, that should give every senator pause. Tomorrow, we'll hear a lot of confirmation etiquette. It's mostly a sham. You know the game. In the Bush White House, you coach judicial nominees to just tell senators that they have a commitment to follow Supreme Court precedent, that they will adhere to statutory text, that they have no ideological agenda, end quote. Fairy tales. At his hearing, Justice Roberts infamously said he'd just call balls and strikes. But this pattern, 73 to 0, of the Roberts Five qualifies him to have NASCAR-style corporate badges on his robes. Alito said in his hearing what a strong principle stare decisis was, an important limitation on the court. Then he told the Federalist Society, stare decisis means to leave things decided when it suits our purposes. Gorsuch delivered the key fifth vote in the precedent-busting and union-busting Janus decision. He, too, had pledged in his hearing to follow the law of judicial precedent, assured us he was not a philosopher king and promised to give equal concern to every person, poor or rich, mighty or meek. How'd that turn out? Great for the rich and mighty. Gorsuch is the single most corporate-friendly justice on a court already full of them, ruling for big business interests in over 70% of cases and in every single case where his vote was determinative. The The President early on assured evangelicals his Supreme Court picks would attack Roe v. Wade. Despite confirmation etiquette assurances about precedent, your own words make clear you don't really believe Roe v. Wade is settled law since the court, as you said, can always overrule its precedent. Mr. Chairman, we've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. The sad fact is that there is no consequence for telling the committee fairy tales about stare decisis, and then riding off with the Roberts Five, trampling across whatever precedent gets in the way of letting those big Republican interests keep winning five to four partisan decisions. 73 to zero, Mr. Kavanaugh, every damned time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Senator Cruz. Oh, Chairman, I have some documents to support this. May I ask unanimous consent? They be entered into the record. They, without objection, Thank you. entered.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Judge Kavanaugh, welcome. I want to discuss what this hearing is about and what it's not about. First, Judge Kavanaugh is, by any objective measure, everyone...
3: And welcome back. The oily, unctuous Senator Ted Cruz is now speaking. What we have heard up to this point until the Republicans say, OK, we'll let you see the 90 percent of the documents associated with Brett Kavanaugh that we're hiding from you and the public. I don't really have an interest in hearing from them. I know what they're going to say. They're going to say, oh, it's more documents than ever. But, you know, there's a 35 month hole from when he was in the White House his positions on abortion, and many other issues. Well, Sheldon Whitehouse was absolutely brilliant. He went through these 73 different decisions since John Roberts was put on the court that were of big consequential issues that the Republican Party has taken a position on. Gerrymandering, voting rights, Citizens United, McCutcheon, arbitration, blocking the EPA's clean air rule, guns, abortion, the Muslim ban, helping the investment bankers avoid liability. He went through all of these things and pointed out that The Roberts Five, these were all five to four decisions, 100% of them, 73 major decisions. In virtually all of them, the Supreme Court was involved. White House's testimony was just breathtaking. And now, as I said, you've got uh, Ted Cruz up there talking about how he and Brett Kavanaugh go back years and years. They've known each other for 20 years, and they're good old boys, and they're just going to do whatever they want. So let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Dave, in Federal Way, Washington. Dave, can you hear me?
6: Yeah, I can hear you, Tom.
3: Okay, Dave, you're on the air.
6: Yeah, Ted Cruz is also oleogonous to the yeah. Pope Benjamin Disraeli. Hey, uh, but that's not, I want to talk about Brett Kavanaugh, and instead of insulting the man, I'm going to just say what me and Brett Kavanaugh have in common. All right, during George Bush's tenure as president, I came to the conclusion that this country is headed towards fascism. It's headed towards a state, a stat es moi, as Louis XIV said, the state is me, okay? And... This Kavanaugh knows what side the bread is buttered for him, okay? Here's a scenario. I'm thinking President Trump could have... Special counsel Robert Mueller actually arrested. Like, remember Archibald Cox? The FBI seized his office and seized his papers, but they didn't arrest him. Right. Trump could go one further and actually arrest Robert Mueller and then claim there is some left wing uh, conspiracy to do violence. That could be aided by the intelligence services of China and Russia, and Trump could dis- declare a.
3: Yeah, this is kind a of a variation law. on what just happened in the Philippines, where Duterte just arrested his second opposition politician.
6: Yeah, Tom, you know what's going on. You know what's going on. And again, I'm not insulting anybody. Obama just chose not to go down that route. Obama didn't do anything to solve the problem, but he just chose not to go that authoritarian route. That door is open, and Trump and his minions are going to step right through, and everything this country was founded upon might as well just be thrown in the dumpster of history.
3: Well, at least the idealism of the Enlightenment. I'm fine throwing in the dumpster of history, slavery and misogyny, and the inability of women to participate, but uh, all well said. Dave, thank you very much for the call. Chris in Salem, Oregon, listening on X-Ray FM. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today?
1: Man, Tom, you know, you wrote a huge book about political framing. I absolutely love what Senator Whitehouse is doing with this Robert's Five yeah. um, brilliant yeah. messaging. Yeah, um, it is. So I would encourage that to be like a maybe a hashtag on Twitter so all the listeners, you know, maybe just do, like, hashtag Roberts5. I think that would be effective. But, Tom, he had mentioned something. I haven't fact-checked this yet, but perhaps you've been more aware of this than me for a long time. But if I was reading it correctly, White House was essentially asserting... That there is this well funded cohort of basically lobbyists and you know like federal society and whatnot that bring about these like facially specious claims, basically trolling the court, just doing these like ridiculous lawsuits. Well, they do they do it, they do it at, in know.
3: in lower courts, hoping that they'll lose in many cases specifically so they can appeal to the supreme court they just the only way you can get a case before the supreme court if it doesn't involve a conflict between two states or a conflict between the united states and and some other country is to have it come up through the lower courts and appear there on appeal. You can't just go right to the Supreme Court and say, "I want to have you guys decide abortion." For example, you can't do that.
1: So there is very real evidence that there is a motive attributed to basically trolling the courts, yep. court you know taxpayer's expense, basically just to spread right-wing propaganda.
3: Well, that's going on too. I mean, I, yeah, that's I going on didn't too. No,
1: like the rabbit went that deep. Uh, thanks, Tom.
3: Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for the call, Chris. Good to hear from you. Let's see here, Richard in Los Angeles. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I heard a while back, I heard that it was the Mercers that told Bush to nominate Gorsuch. I don't know that. It was, well, actually, Gorsuch wasn't a, oh, Trump. Yeah, okay, I thought you said Bush. No, it's through one of the investigative reporters. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise Uh, me. Trump would not be in the White House if it wasn't for billionaire Mercer, Robert Mercer and his daughter, Rebecca.
5: And then now you realize how important that
3: Mitch McConnell, his role in history. Oh yeah. for blocking Garland. And what's so weird about this is Garland was not even a liberal. Garland was a lifelong Republican. He was an Eisenhower Republican type. And President Obama, knowing that it was his last year and that it was going to get content- it already was contentious, uh, made what I think strategically was a huge blunder. He went to Orrin Hatch, the Republican Senator from Utah, and sat down with him and said, you give me the name of a well-qualified judge who is in the middle who is acceptable to the republicans so i can get this done with without having a protracted fight and i will nominate him and orrin hatch gave him the name of merrick garland and obama brought garland forward and i think that if obama instead had gone to one of the progressives in the democratic party and said who do you think you know this is my last chance this is a chance to really shape the court who should we put on the court And had put somebody in a genuine progressive mold on the court. Now, you know, it would be sort of like today's hearings. This is going to be a major change in the direction of the court, would be what it was, um, because this was replacing Scalia. But uh, that, and that, I think that's probably part of his thinking about why he was replacing Republican Scalia with Republican Merrick Garland. But, you know, had he instead nominated a progressive, I think that the Democrats would have gone to the mattresses for him, they would have fought for him. But as it was, I mean, who's going to fight for, you know, what Democrat is going to fight for a Republican on the court, particularly when the president himself is not fighting for him? And so, you know, here we are. But you're absolutely right, Richard. Richard McConnell played a big role in this. Was there a final point you want to make?
5: Well, the the last point, which you just said right now, clarified, I really, truly believe that Obama was the cause of this. He was the cause of not getting.
3: Now, the cause of this is the takeover of the United States body politics in the 1970s by morbidly rich right wingers from the Olin Foundation, the Scaife Foundation, the Koch brothers and all these others. They got Lewis Powell on the U.S. Supreme Court. Richard Nixon put him on the court a year after he authored the Powell memo that said we've got to take over everything. We've got to take over the courts. We've got to take over the schools. We've got to take over the media. We've got to create public opinion. Powell did that. He wrote that memo. They put him on the court. And four years later, in 1976, in the Buckley versus Vallejo decision, Powell helped author a decision that explicitly said when billionaires or corporations, actually it was expanded to corporations two years later in uh, First First National Bank versus Bilotti, another decision Powell played a big uh, role in that when billionaires want to own a politician that's fine they can go ahead and do that that's protected speech under the first amendment it's considered the right of free speech money is speech no president has ever said this no legislature has ever said this this was the first time it appeared in a big way in american law And this was in the decision of Buckley versus Vallejo, which set the stage for Citizens United. But that was the beginning of the takeover. And then Reagan walked right through that with all his billionaire, his oil buddies. And Reagan changed the nature of everything. So, Richard, I get your point. I slightly disagree with you, but I think the point is well taken. Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up?
5: Hey, just tell me if I saw what I thought I saw on the weekend, which is Donald Trump blasting his own attorney general for the prosecution of two Republican congressmen, one for embezzling campaign funds and the other for insider trading. Yes. The mayor who can hire or fire a police chief blasts that chief for allowing his cops to arrest and prosecute politicians
3: who are friendly to the mayor. That's obvious corruption
5: and obstruction of justice. Didn't I just see that with Trump?
3: You absolutely did. And this is, I I just pointed out uh, a few minutes ago, Duterte in the Philippines, you know, who has been launching, who has uh, been running this murder campaign uh, to solve the war on drugs. Um, has now arrested his second opposition politician, and and you know I think that Trump is looking at these guys. He, he goes to Saudi Arabia, he loves it. Uh, his uh, commerce secretary, uh, billionaire Wilbur Ross, goes with him, and and uh, his comment about it to the press was, "Wow, it's amazing. They really love Donald Trump over here. There wasn't a single dissenting, no protesters, no no signs, nothing," uh, you know oblivious of the fact that had anybody tried to protest Trump's being in Saudi Arabia, they would be beheaded the following Friday in Riyadh. I mean, this is, this is nuts, but yes, you're looking at, we are all looking at, and thank you Mike for the call and for your comment, we are all looking at America turning into a banana republic. And, you know, we've always had a a, a fair amount of banana republic, but this is like, this is over the top. This is absolutely screaming over the top. Kevin in Maryland. Hey Kevin, uh, what's on your mind?
6: Hey, good morning, Tom. I'm going to let you go because I want to hear what you have to say. But I was going to ask you, since McCain and I'm, you know, I'm really watching this thing. But I know since McCain has passed, I just want your insight on what happens to the votes. How do the votes swing now since the governor of wherever well, yeah. St. Louis,
3: Juicy Arizona, yeah, of Arizona
6: of Arizona hasn't put no one in his place? That what happens? With the vote total now, I'm just curious to that. And then the second thing is McConnell said that this wasn't a good choice. And do you think he said that because he knew how much stuff this man did when he was in the White House and Bush? I'm going to hang up because I'd love to hear your comment on that. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Kevin. Appreciate it. I just heard that John Kyle is going to replace. Is that Ducey announced that? John Kyle was in the Senate, wasn't he? oh, he was only going to serve until January, so now he's going to continue. Fascinating. Well, that, they're, they're doing this rapidly to get the vote, you know, so that they'll have a vote, although uh, I'm not sure exactly when I'd be sworn in. But the Republicans did have 51 votes in the Senate. The Democrats had 49. Now the Republicans have 50. That's still enough to confirm a, a Supreme Court justice. And this is where uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins are so critical because they both have asked Kavanaugh about abortion. In both cases, he said it's settled law. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not willing to overturn it. In fact, he didn't say that. He gave them happy talk. What he should have said was they were correctly decided. That means he's not going to overturn them. He's not saying that. So we need to reach out to them.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: And you can call Senator Murkowski and Senator Collins at 202-225-3121 if you want to share your thoughts on the Kavanaugh nomination, because they're the ones who could stop this you know in the world of work one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it which is their chair And the X-chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high-tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X-chair. It is comfortable, it is high-tech, and yes, I'll say it, it is sexy. This chair is extraordinary, and it will dramatically, consequentially, improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And it's patented, split-back, lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's Perfect blend of design and ergonomics. There's a lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1 844 4XCHAIR. This chair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code Tom T H O M to get a free footrest. Xchairtom.com. dot com. Now back to the podcast. Dion in Round Lake, Illinois. Hey, Dion, what's on your mind? Hey,
1: Tom, how you
3: doing? Good. You want to talk about Kavanaugh?
1: Yeah, it's just a quick question. Then I'll hang up. How is Kavanaugh's uh, appointment going to affect our kids in colleges, and what court decisions are upcoming?
3: If you want to see more private for-profit colleges and more private predatory lenders for... Good question, Dion. Thank you. If you want to see more of that, Kavanaugh on the court. If you want to see more gerrymandering, if you want to see rigging of elections... Kavanaugh on the court. If you want to see voting rights further suppressed, you know, in uh, Shelby County, they already took a meat ax to the Voting Rights Act, gutting, I believe it was Section 4, maybe Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, uh, the pre-clearance part. And immediately, I mean, literally within 24 hours, Texas and one of the Carolinas, I believe it was South Carolina, immediately started changing their voting practices in ways that were discriminatory. If you want to see more of that put to Kavanaugh on the court. If you want to see more power to the Koch brothers and wealthy billionaires, more Citizens United kinds of decisions, more McCutcheon kinds of decisions, put him on the court. If you want to see more deference to churches and to for-profit corporations like Hobby Lobby that say that we have a religion and our religion is more important than the health care of our employees. If you want to see more of those kinds, these are all five to four decisions. These are not like, you know, the Supreme Court has decided. No, this is, this is the right-wingers on the court have decided. If you want to see it getting harder and harder and harder for the average person to get into court because there's mandatory arbitration language in click terms and conditions, uh, yes, I agree to the terms and conditions to view this website, or terms of employment, employment contracts and things, yeah, Kavanaugh on the court. If you want to see the EPA further gutted, And in fact, the possibility that the ability of the Environmental Protection Agency to actually enforce environmental law, this is going to be one of the next big cases. They've already taken a large step toward this in the case that overturned Obama's Clean Power Act. Now they're moving forward and saying the EPA shouldn't even be able to, they should be an advisory body. Kavanaugh will take that position, I predict. On guns, if you want to see more guns in, in, the, in circulation, the United States has about half the guns in the world. We are 4% of the world's population. We have uh, about half of the civilian guns in circulation. You want to see more of that, more school shootings, more homicides, more suicides by guns? Kavanaugh on the court. If you want to see abortion outlawed in half the states, put Kavanaugh on the court. He's going to say, oh, no, you know, Roe v. Wade was uh, maybe subtle law, but it was subtle. It was... Uh, inappropriately decided and they will overturn Roe v. Wade and then it'll be up to the states. And so if you're in California, you can probably get an abortion. If you're in Mississippi, you are, you know, flat out of luck. If you want to see the Muslim travel ban and and America being more of a pariah in the world, if you want to see torture built into our military, all of these things, all of these things will get worse with Kavanaugh on the court. On the line with us is Dawn Legans. She's the executive vice president of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Plannedparenthood.org is the website. Dawn, L-A-G-U-E-N-S is her Twitter handle or PPFA. Dawn, welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Tom.
3: We played a good chunk of, of the hearings this morning, and, of course, I've been watching it since I got up this morning. I'm curious your thoughts on what's going on with this whole, jeez, I, I don't know what to, how to characterize it. Uh, circus seems way too tame for what's going on right now in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee.
2: Well, I mean, I think what we're seeing is the level of concern that, one, the American people are expressing in their concern about Judge Kavanaugh being reflected by both the Democratic uh, senators who are saying, hey, wait a second, you can't tell me you got 42,000 pages last night and you've gone through everything and, hey, just look the other way. And a lot of, obviously, individuals, primarily women from what I can tell, who realize that Safe legal abortion, which has been a right in this country uh, for decades, is really literally on the line. And so, um, I, I think it reflects the grave moment we're in, where this t- court could tip away from the will of the American people for decades to come.
3: How different would America be if uh, Kavanaugh were put on the court, and Roberts had a, another five-to-four decision this time overturning Roe? Uh, it would it would throw this back to the states. Obviously, some states, probably you know, Oregon, Washington, California, and New York, whatnot, would would keep abortion legal. Other states would probably very quickly ban it. Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, um, and then some states there would probably be a debate about it, like Florida. How different is that from right now? My understanding is, in much of America, abortion is, for all practical purposes, unless you're wealthy, simply not available anyway.
2: Well, it, in in many places, it's certainly been made extremely more difficult for women and people to access abortion and all of their sexual reproductive health and rights. And we know that, you know, your zip code determines a lot about what happens to you in this country on all kinds of fronts. There are many states that have trigger laws that would uh, very quickly go into uh, effect. We know that, you know, 400 State restrictions have passed and put in place, as you were referencing over the last seven years. But we know that 318 new restrictions have been introduced just this year as the right prepares for this very moment when President Trump delivers exactly what he said he would, an anti-choice justice, who will swing the court and restrict abortion access further for the one in four women who will have an abortion in their lifetime. We know this means criminalization. We know that this can mean uh, health and life impacts. And so it will be, uh, while it's hard now, it will be unrecognizable for many women. And certainly I'm the mom of 19-year-old triplet daughters, and I can't imagine a world where they have significantly Fewer rights than I had
3: as a 19-year-old. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, so that's kind of the the, the 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 downside of it all. What's the upside? How how do we how do we get back to a country where abortion is safe, legal, and rare? Uh, to to quote, uh, I believe it was Bill Clinton back in the day. Um, and it, I mean, is that even the, the desirable outcome? I'm I'm assuming that's the case. And and uh you know what are the what are the things Don that you think would would move us in that direction?
2: Well, let's just make clear that uh Brett Kavanaugh, in addition to um being having ruled in cases where it's clear that he is uh anti abortion that he uh worships justice former Chief Justice Rehnquist, who is one of two dissenters, only two dissenters in the row decision, he's also ruled against contraceptive access and letting your boss decide if, if you should be able to have birth control. And the thing is, what we know works is what we've been doing, which is uh, making contraception more available. Actually, in this country, we're at the lowest unintended pregnancy rate, lowest teen pregnancy rate, lowest abortion rate. Abortion is uh, very safe, one of the safest medical procedures, and one, obviously, that many women avail themselves of during uh, their lifetime. And You know, how we get back to that is we have politicians who actually match up with the people. Seventy percent of Americans say they want Roe v. Wade to stay in place. So how is it that we have these states, these state legislatures and these senators who would tilt the court in a way that would get rid of the Affordable Care Act and the 62 million women who are benefiting from no copay birth control and cancer screenings, as well as uh, now making it a country where it is even harder and criminalized and women are at risk and families are more at risk. So, you know, I don't, I mean, there's no silver lining on Brett Kavanaugh, I'll tell you that. But I do think people are really speaking out. They're really woken up about this and all the issues that are at stake. And of course, we know that um, in November, a lot of them are going to be expressing their opinions. And I hope that uh, if nothing else, This has been a wake-up call for that.
3: You know this issue much better than I, and uh, I'm I'm looking at what happened with Ireland. Ireland, you know, very, very Catholic country, uh, went along with the Catholic Church's position on, on both birth control and abortion for years and years and years. Uh, and for that matter, on, on divorce, I remember the first time I went to Ireland back in, I think it was the 70s, maybe the early 80s, uh, there were these billboards all over the country of a little child with a little girl with tears in her eyes holding her mom's hand and a man standing off in the distance with a bad look on his face. And, and I couldn't figure out what it was. It was like vote no on Proposition 3 or something. And it turned out they were talking about whether or not to legalize divorce. But, but what happened was the abortion clinics in the U.K., were widely available to irish women there was also that that ship that parked off the you know off the coast that was performing abortions and eventually i believe the country came around and said enough already because this really isn't about abortion and birth control it's really about women having equal power political power and equal access to medical care Um, this is about you know misogyny it's about the the oppression of women and we're not gonna put up with this anymore. It they did change their law recently, am I remembering that right, Don?
2: Yeah, you you are Tom, and you've got it all correct. Many countries are moving toward equality as it seems as if ours is moving against it. And I'll just remind you that, you know, for a hundred and one years, Planned Parenthood uh has had one big idea and that is that your body is your own. And if it's not, you can't be free and you can't be equal, exactly as you've said. And, you know, I actually think that what we are seeing, of course, again, is a far right uh, part of the Republican Party holding them hostage through their primary system so that, again, so many people who are elected are so out of touch and out of whack with what their actual constituents believe and what women in this country believe. We know that uh, fewer than 28 percent of women support Kavanaugh being on the court. I mean, that is a massive disconnect between the hearings that you're seeing and what the Republican uh, leadership there is trying to do and how people really feel. And I, But I do think it is a reaction to the progress that women have made, to the progress that people of color have made uh, in the march toward freedom and equality, and this is part of that backlash. But uh, I don't think in that people are going to put up with it, but I would hate to see us have to First, experience again a world where women and doctors are going to jail, uh, a world that we see where fewer and fewer women in states like Texas and Oklahoma and Indiana are able to get care uh, spread to other states. And so, we've got to have everyone who is listening now is the time. This is a 911 moment where people have got to call their senators, every senator, and hold them accountable and say this is not the America they want. And that you can do that at 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121.
3: There you go. Dawn, Dawn Legans, the executive vice president of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Am I saying your name right, Don?
2: Yes, you okay. are. The first one ever.
3: Okay, great. Uh, Planned Parenthood.org, of course, is the website. Don, thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Bye,
3: Tom. Great talking with you. And uh, let's let's all hope for the best here. And work for the best. So let's check in with Bob Nay with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsFortheOldGoat.com and loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book. And on the line with us, the author of Sideswiped, former Congressman Bob Nay. Bob, welcome back.
5: Well, thank you, Tom. Good afternoon.
3: So uh, I'm assuming you've been watching the hearings up to this point. I'm curious your thoughts on what's going on well, as a former pretty, member of Congress.
5: Uh, right. The um, Republicans are decreeing mob rule. But actually, um, you know, when it was when Mitch McConnell decided to not have the consideration of, you know, President Obama's choice, it was because they didn't have enough time right. and uh, they needed more time, which was, what, going to be another year, I guess? Yeah. And, of course, now the the Democratic side is simply saying we want a bit more time. And even though the Senate Republicans are saying they don't fear the loss of the Senate, who knows what's going to happen this year. This is a very wild year. But all of a sudden, of course, they have to, to move it. So basically, I think, Tom, that the Republicans are getting what they deserve uh, because, you know, you can't use the argument they used last time to completely go around the right of a president, you know, to a point, which is, is is what a president has the ability to do, which President Obama did, and then all of a sudden say, well, you know, it's enough, you don't need more time for this one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that the, you know, if I was there, I would fully expect, if I'm, say I'm supporting, I'm a senator, I'm supporting, you know, Kavanaugh, I would fully expect the Democratic side not to just lay down and take it.
3: yeah, well it appears that they're not. they're fighting back I'm curious also as as somebody who you know was pretty high up in Republican circles for a while there um, for a number of years you have you Have you read this excerpt or this uh, reporting on Bob Woodward's new book that's over in today's Washington post it just it just went out an hour or so ago?: Oh yes. Uh, I'm the of, the,
5: what happens to Kelly now. You yeah. Know. I, I,
3: you know, how can how can Trump keep Kelly and uh, McMaster after particularly after Kelly brags to, to Bob Woodward or somebody on his behalf? Probably Rob Porter bragged to Bob Woodward that he literally took papers off Trump's desk to keep him from signing them like, you know, a, sure. uh, something that took us out of the uh, South Korea free trade deal
5: well that's correct they've done it and you know if you just look at and I'm and I and I saw these excerpts where you know they're quoting uh the chief of staff which is amazing because the frustration level Tom of Kelly must have been you know I've been around the white house and presidents and our own internal system you know house administration the speakers it takes a lot to get a staffer to say the things that he has said, and oh. I, I often wonder if Kelly is saying these things to kind of give a warning out there that you know something has to be looked at as, as to how the place is running. You think so, but, you think things
3: might actually even be worse than than they're being characterized?
5: Oh, I think so because I, I looked at something today that the president did that just absolutely blows my mind. And if I was uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was Mueller, I'd have to be looking at this. But the president has, is hitting his attorney general and saying that we had two easy wins. Uh, now they're in doubt. Right. You know, basically saying that Sessions did that. So he, as president of his own Justice Department, is saying that they shouldn't have done this.
3: Don't prosecute right? criminals if they're Republicans. Yeah.
5: Well, I mean, it's amazing that that, that any president would interfere.
3: Well, not only that, you know, the one thing that the president has to do, and it says it right in the Constitution, is he must faithfully execute the laws that are passed by Congress. And the laws include laws against inside trading and laws against campaign finance violations, which is what these guys are accused of committing. And Trump is going, yeah, but if they're Republicans, you don't enforce the laws, which is the opposite of his job. How long do you think your party or what used to be your party is going to put up with this, Bob?
5: Well, that, this Woodward book, I think, is telling because, again, I think Kelly must be at the frustration level. I am positive that Kelly could not have supported what President Trump put out about Sessions and having the president of the United States during everything that's going on interfere is what he's doing in yeah. the Justice Department investigation. So I think the whole internal system member is haywire. But let me tell you why the president won't care. He doesn't think he needs uh, an office. He doesn't think he needs a staff. right? He doesn't. He just you know, needs to make, make decrees calls.
3: by Twitter and, and have people who will scurry around and, and execute them.
5: So I think there's rampant fear right
3: now. I'm, I'm wondering, Bob, if, if as a reporter you have, uh, there are some doors that might be open to you that aren't open to me. I would love to find out if there is any kind of thinking at the FBI or in the prosecutor's office or even among Republicans. Uh, suggesting that by appointing Brett Kavanaugh, the one justice among the dozen or so that were you know, given to him by the Federalist Society, the only one who ha- is on the record saying that a sitting president should not be able to be indicted, was Trump attempting to subordinate justice, to obstruct justice?
5: Well, I think he's tempting, uh, you know, attempting to, to have his way because, look, you know and I know, Tom, and you've been around this a long time. I think we could safely bet that there is absolutely no way the president will answer Mueller. There is no way he he will right. answer a subpoena. there is no way he will do any of that. And the one place this all heads, if, Mo- if Mueller does do that, if, if Mueller it's the invites, Supreme Court.: you know
3: yeah.
5: it heads to the Supreme Court. Now, if you're Donald Trump, you're going to make sure that you hedge your bets. This is the presidency of the United States.
3: Yeah. Which, which means, basically, that you're agreeing with my, my thinking that, that this yeah, is obstruction of justice. Sure, sure. This should be part of another article of impeachment. The first article of impeachment against Nixon was obstruction of justice. Well,
5: the Sessions thing today is the most incredible thing I've seen in years.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really and truly really is. Bob Nay, author of Sideswiped. Thank Bob, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Good talking with you.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
3: Welcome back. Tom Arvin here with you. Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota. Let's pick that up.
0: Or in another case, you wrote a dissent against the rules that protect net neutrality, rules that help all citizens and small businesses have an even playing field when it comes to accessing the Internet. Another example that seems mired in legalese but is critical for Americans, antitrust law. In recent years, a conservative majority on the Supreme Court has made it harder and harder to enforce the nation's antitrust laws, ruling in favor of consolidation and market dominance. Yet two of Judge Kavanaugh's major antitrust opinions suggest that he would push the court even further down this pro-merger path. We should have more competition and not less. Now to go from my specific concerns, and end on a higher plane. All of the attacks on the rule of law in our justice system over the past year have made me, and I would guess some of my other colleagues on this committee, pause and think many times about why I decided to come to the Senate and get on this committee, and much further back, why I even decided to go into law in the first place. Now, I will tell you that not many girls in my high school class said they dreamed of being a lawyer. We had no lawyers in my family, and my parents were the first in their families to go to college. But somehow my dad convinced me to spend a morning sitting in a courtroom watching a state court district judge handle a routine calendar of criminal cases. The judge took pleas, listened to arguments, and handed out misdemeanor sentences. It was certainly nothing glamorous, like the work for the job you've been nominated for, judge. But it was important just the same. I realized that morning that behind every single case, there was a story and there was a person, no matter how small. Each and every decision the judge made that day affected that person's life, and I noticed how often he had to make gut decisions and had to take account of what his decisions would mean for that person and his or her family. This week, I remembered that day, and I remembered I had written an essay about it at the ripe old age of 17. I went back and looked at what I had said. It is something that I still believe today, and that is that, to be part of an imperfect system, to have a chance to better that system, was and is a cause worth fighting for, a job worth doing. Our government is far from perfect judge, nor is our legal system. But we are at a crossroads in our nation's history where we must make a choice. Are we going to dedicate ourselves to improving our democracy, improving our justice system, or not? The question we are being asked to address in this hearing, among others, is whether this judge, at this time in our history, will administer the law with equal justice as it applies to all citizens, regardless of if they live in a poor neighborhood or a rich neighborhood, or if they live in a small house or the White House. Our country needs a Supreme Court justice who will better our legal system, a justice who will serve as a check and balance on the other branches of government, who will stand up for the rule of law without consideration of politics or partisanship, who will uphold our Constitution without fear or favor, and who will work for the betterment of the great American experiment in democracy. That is what this hearing is about. Thank you.
4: Senator Sass. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, we need to get to Judge Kavanaugh, but I really okay, want to... Okay, that
3: was... The that was uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pot down Ben says. That That is... Um, that was Senator Amy Klobuchar, the Democrat from Minnesota. And, you know, uh, she made a couple of points that had not been raised prior to this that I think are really, really important. And one is that Kavanaugh is opposed to net neutrality. Seriously. Kavanaugh is opposed to antitrust laws. Anyhow, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active. Congress, 202-224-3121. I'll see you tomorrow. Tag, you're it. You've been
5: listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.